Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen alongside Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com. KU football played yesterday, but really we're here to talk about late night in the fog and all things going on with KU basketball. The unofficial start to Kansas men's basketball this season. Now, obviously late night has changed some over the years. Late night used to be the midnight madness, the true basketball kickoff event. Uh, in that you could not practice, you could not scrimmage, you could not do these things until late night. So people would wait until midnight on the first day that you were actually allowed to practice. And then, uh, you know, sure enough, everyone would kind of go out and practice on those days. So, uh, you know, we're a long way removed from that. Late night has become more of a spectacle. It's become more for the, you know, recruiting and the fans and everything and, and less about, you know, actually getting to, um, uh, uh you know, the basketball side of things, but um, still kind of a fun little event and uh, and, and a lot of excitement around the K basketball program. So, Swain, I'll, I'll kick it to you just to start. General thoughts on, on late night in the fog in general, not even this year's. And, and uh, I'm not sure when the first late night you were at was, but if you want to share that too, that would uh, that'd be cool as well. Well, that was actually the first late night I've ever been to. Um, as a student, I didn't go my freshman or sophomore year. I just... Didn't want to have to wait in line all day. Didn't want to have to deal with all of that. So I thought it was, for my first experience, I thought it was really cool. I remember back when I was a lot younger and I used to watch on Sports Center when Midnight Madness, as they called it, would happen. And I always thought how cool it is. And it's, you know, as things happen, it changes. And now they can start practicing once they get on campus four hours a week. So it doesn't have as much of a special feel to it basketball-wise. But I thought that the spectacle as a whole was pretty cool. Yeah, late night is something that if you've never been, it's always fun to go your your first time, your second time. It, it is really, um, you know, just kind of that special experience. And, you know, the, the thing with the scrimmage, like Allen Fieldhouse was probably two-thirds full by the time the scrimmage was over. And or yeah, that might be actually really generous. Um, and, and you see it last year, too. After the Lil Yachty concert, a bunch of people just left. And, and there's always like a freak out on Twitter of like, why are so many people leaving? Well, the fact of the matter is not a lot of people are actually there for that scrimmage, especially uh, you consider last year's team had basically, you know, Malik Newman was a new piece, but he was at last year's late night. And, and you know, it, you were expecting guys like Devontae Graham, Svee, Mikhail, Luke, Yudok, Azubuki, LeGerald Vic. You were expecting those guys who were all returners and all, I want to say all upperclassmen to, I, I guess other than Yudoka, who was a sophomore, uh, you were you were expecting all those returners to kind of play a prominent role, so it wasn't like the Andrew Wiggins or the Josh Jackson year where you're really getting your first look at a you know a five star freshman, which was kind of the case this year. But Quentin Grimes isn't necessarily a player who's like a you know explosive high flying dunker that you you just have to get out there and see. So it was like it, it, it was just a little bit different. But I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty cool night. I thought it was well done by Rockcheck Video and and the. Uh, marketing staff and, and basically all the people who go out and, and kind of put that on. I, I think Rock Track Video basically has it nailed down at this point, uh, you know, how, how to best kind of play to the crowd and, and get everyone fired up. Um, let, let's start right off the top. We'll run through uh, basically what happened at Late Night in the Fog, and then we'll talk about each of the players and, and the scrimmage and then get you out of here. So Late Night began uh, the program, the, the men's basketball program raised a couple banners uh, obviously, had the women's basketball scrimmage, just briefly touching on, very briefly, Jessica Washington. Uh, sat out all last year. She averaged 20 points per game as a junior. 
Uh, did not play in the scrimmage, but it does appear she has a six-year of eligibility. Uh, KU women's basketball could be an NCAA tournament team this year if everyone is healthy and Jessica Washington is back. If not, they probably are not an NCAA tournament team. So a lot is depending on her health. She is one of the top returning players in the Big 12 in terms of uh, you know away from the schools like your Baylors and Texases that seem to dominate the conference every year. Uh, so after the kind of, uh, women's skit and dancing and scrimmage, uh, Bill Self played Matthew McConaughey in a commercial where he, uh, basically showed off all the rings and hardware and things he's won over his career. And at that point, the recruits were there. One thing they did not do, or it's possible I missed, uh, was the Jayhawks in the NBA slideshow. They usually, or, or video, they usually do that and show off, you know, 20 Jayhawks in the NBA and how they're all doing and whatnot for the recruits. And they didn't do that this year, but, uh, or at least like I said, like I saw, but good crowd of recruits in that front row. You had Isaac McBride, Chandler Lawson, uh, Christian Braun, James Wiseman, Cassius Stanley, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, these are all very, very, very high level recruits. The lowest rated is probably McBride. Uh, it's either McBride or Braun at this point. Um, both those guys are four-star guys. So uh, Bryce Thompson, a, f- a four-star in 2020, was there. And Folly Dante was there. Um, Ty Berry was there. I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, at, at least a few names. But Jonathan Lawson was there, brother of Chandler Lawson. But uh, just off the top of my head, those are um, a bunch of recruits who were in attendance who I thought uh, very clearly uh, – a, a lot of them looked to be having a good time, some more than others. Um Two chains also performed for the crowd, as as I think we all knew was was uh, was coming and and whatnot. But that was still it, it was still kind of a spectacle to see. A- any thoughts on the skits, uh, videos, or, or any of that part? I thought the Bill Self McConaughey thing was pretty funny. I've gone back and watched it a couple of times and just laughed to myself. I thought that that was a, a funny skit, and I thought that they an overarching thing that I thought was pretty funny was just the shade that was thrown at the various other coaches throughout you know college basketball there was the one scene from the memphis game where they have you know national championship memphis walks off and they had a shot of calipari that you pointed out i thought that was pretty funny just throwing shade at memphis and calipari who are the two people that are in on james wiseman the number one recruit in the nation and i thought that recruit wise it's all for them really and i thought that it seemed like they enjoyed it but they're all on their phones so much too that's something i noticed too but that's totally irrelevant <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, the skits were fun. And Dave McCormick also took his spot in the KU band, which was a cool moment. Uh, he kind of drummed along to the song, I want to say, All of the Lights. Uh, I guess that's yeah. a Kanye song. And then um, there there was also kind of a relay race where I believe it was the team of Quentin Grimes, Chris Tehan, and Yudoka Azabuki uh, that beat out all the other KU teams, basically running up and down the court, dribbling, passing, throwing stuff into the crowd, and uh, pedaling down the court on a bike. So uh, basically a lot of kind of fun stuff like that. And, and um, yeah, it was, it, it was definitely different. Uh, Two Chains performed. He gave a, a mini concert probably about a half hour. And I think that the general sense among, uh, certainly among Bill Self and some other people was that it was, uh, it was nice and maybe uh, went on a little lengthy. Matt Galloway, the Tweet Capital Journal, had a tweet about his song 4 a.m., and kind of joking that at that rate, uh, everyone was going to be there until 4 a.m. But recruits seem to uh, seem to enjoy two chains, and uh, certainly the players, uh, men's and women's players, both had a heck of a time uh, rapping along, singing along to everything two chains was doing. Uh, they were definitely very, 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 very uh, excited for him to be there, and 
I thought he was good. I didn't realize he was 41. He actually shot around and played a little basketball after he was done. So I, I thought it was fun to uh, to get to see two chains kind of interacting with everyone. And um, uh, it, it was like I said, it made for a cool night, and uh, the the festivities were all uh, were all pretty fun. Had had you ever seen two chains before? I had not seen two chains live before, and going in, I kind of thought it was going to be a little bit like Little Yachty last year, where he shows up does a 15, 20 minute little four song concert and then just leaves. I thought it was really cool that he joked about putting on shorts and coming out and playing and then went and sat next to Bill Self on the bench for the entirety of the scrimmage. And and it reminded me of when Drake was at Kentucky all those years back and shot the huge air ball in the layup line. That's what I kind of thought of. I thought it was really cool though, that he stuck around and was really kind of taking it all in, I would say. Yeah, he was. He I he even thanked at one point. He's like, "Whoever got me here, basically." Like, you know, I'm not sure he necessarily knew who the right person to thank was, but he was very clearly giddy and excited. And self actually compared two chains to, uh, to you know, when you go to a high school game and and in between quarters or when you know, or, or if, even if you're at like the rack or something, and uh, when the when someone's playing at the other end, you know, a five on five game, and they go to the other end, these kids come out and they'll shoot on the hoop and and whatnot, and. And self kind of joked that that's what Two Chains was doing. Did say he had a nice stroke, though. Uh, all right, so I want to spend a majority of this podcast and and really the last twenty minutes here uh, talking about the Kansas men's basketball scrimmage. We're going to run through each player. Uh, Kevin Flaherty also posted his thoughts, which you can read at Kansas the twenty four seven Sports dot com with every player from the scrimmage. Uh, and, and then we'll obviously we'll talk through uh, some of our own. So. Uh, I want to start with the walk-ons, and we can kind of group them together. EJ Elliott, uh, Chris Tehan, and Garrett Lewinstra. Uh, we saw EJ Elliott knock down a couple threes. We saw Garrett Lewinstra knock down a three. Uh, you're, you're not really going to see much from them this year. EJ Elliott is a guy who has a ceiling that could lend itself uh, or, or has a ceiling and an ability to play that could lend itself to some minutes maybe later on in his career. That's why he chose Kansas. He's a walk-on, but he chose Kansas to earn playing time. Uh, down the line. Uh, however, I wouldn't be banking on that as his freshman or sophomore years or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I thought it was uh, it was nice to see all the walk-ons. Garrett Lewinstra hit a three, and Garrett Lewinstra can actually shoot. He was a uh, fantastic player at Free State High School, dropped 30 a number of times. He's This is not a Tyler Self, Evan Manning type deal uh, where you're dealing with kind of like an okay player. You're, you're, the, Garrett Lewinstra could have played college. Uh, as you see, his frame is just very wiry, and he's he's not – uh, the most athletic guy right now, and, and you know, obviously not a great finisher or anything like that. Won't be able to defend super super high level, but he is, you know, every bit the shooter that he, he might be KU's best shooter, or second best shooter, or third best shooter, or somewhere in there, just because of of the way he plays and whatnot. So, uh, any thoughts on the walk ons before we move on to the scholarship players? Um, I really agree with your thought about EJ Elliott and him possibly working in some playing time later on in his KU career. I don't think he'll play much this year, and. If I remember correctly, I thought Bill Self pointed out that he was one of the better shooters on the team after the scrimmage especially. So I'll be interested to see if he does ever actually get into the game, if there's ever like, not a late game situation, but if there's ever like a situation where it's against a you know, mid-level, mid-major team. wouldn't surprise me if EJ Elliott actually maybe would get some minutes and put up points. He seems like a, a pretty talented player, but I definitely don't think he'll be getting like actual minutes this year. It'll be something that comes later in his career. For sure. All right, so let's run through the roster now. The 12 scholarship players that the Jayhawks have. 
Uh, we'll start with Devon Dotson at the point guard spot. Kind of a first look at him. Uh, nothing he did actually really blew me away or impressed me all that much. I think we know about him. He's quick. He's athletic. Uh, good head on his shoulders and clearly wanted to come out and shoot some jumpers, which is not necessarily his game, but he can make them. Uh, I was not overtly impressed with Devon Dotson, but I think he's going to have a. Uh, I think he's going to have a big season. Um, so absolutely nothing against him. McDonald's All American freshman. Um, I, I think you just you know wait for the game setting and, and see what he can do in the open court. Yeah, I thought that he tried to use a lot of pick and rolls. I thought it seemed like every time he got the ball at the top of the key, there was some sort of screen and roll action or that would come out of it. And he, I thought he made some pretty good passes, just basic you know swinging the ball. I thought that. He did take some uncharacteristic jump shots, you know, a lot of pull-up stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see or that Bill Self would want to see from him especially. So, and there's also not much you can take away from the scrimmages just because it is, it's a pickup game. So it's, they're not running full on sets or anything. For sure. All right. Charlie Moore uh, is up next. I was not super enthused to see Charlie Moore in this just because, we know what Charlie Moore is at this point, and there were a lot of different players that I wanted to get to see. You know, Charlie Moore is is an undersized guard. He's going to take a lot of jump shots. Uh, he's going to try and get into the lane and be crafty with his finishing or passing or, or whatnot. And again, I thought he was fine. I'll, I'll actually pull up the box score just so we can uh, kind of run through it with some numbers, and I'll, and I'll give them. So uh, going back to the walk-ons, Elijah Elliott scored six points uh, and had one turnover. Um Again, all on kind of three-pointers there. Garrett Lynch had three points, one-on-one shooting, one-on-one from three. And then Chris Tehan went 0 for 2 uh, from the field and finished with uh, no points in the scrimmage. So Devon Dotson, 2 of 4, four points, three assists um, for the Crimson team that defeated the blue team, 46-37. Actually, I'll run through the teams real quick, too. The Crimson team was Marcus Garrett, Diedrich Lawson, Quentin Grimes, Devon Dotson, Udoka, with Elijah Elliott and KJ Lawson off the bench. The blue team was Charlie Moore, Silvio De Sosa, LeGerald Vick, Ochayag Baji, Mitch Lightfoot, Christian, Garrett Lewinstra, and David McCormick. So going back to Charlie Moore, he was three of six from the field, one of two from three, seven points, three assists, two rebounds, one turnover. Uh, again, it, it was very clearly just the typical, you know, I'm going to take a few shots. If someone scores on me, I'm going to try and score back on them. Uh, you not going to learn anything in this setting from Charlie Moore, but you know, if he gets hot, this is the type of thing where he could put up 20 points. Yep. I totally agree. I thought that again, kind of like the way that Devon played, I thought that he moved the ball well again, you know, three assists. I, that's pretty good for the scrimmage. I thought, especially only being 15 minutes um, shooting wise. I think that he's got to be the best shooter right now. That's KU has. So a lot of weight is going to be put on his shoulders to, kind of take some of that scoring load, especially if the team starts to kind of lock down the post area, which could be hard against, you know, Diedrich, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. All right. Continuing on, and how I'm just doing this is taking the smallest players and, and moving up. Quentin Grimes. Uh, I thought Quentin Grimes was fine. He was 3-7 from the field, 1-4 from three, seven points, one rebound. Very clearly, he can get a shot off when he wants, and he can operate in transition. He, he was pretty fast, pretty quick. Uh, not only in the scrimmage, but also in the relay race. So I, I think Quentin Grimes, Quentin Grimes is a, a good case of a player who everyone knows what he's going to be. High ceiling. He's a guy that's going to come in here and and uh, and really play a significant role. Wouldn't shock me if it was a little Kelly Oubre ish, uh, but he would start further along in college. That's kind of the sense I get, at least talking to the coaching staff, uh, that 
you know, Kelly Oubre had kind of a slow start. By the end of the year, he's pretty good and obviously playing his best ball in the NBA. I expect Quentin Grimes to follow that trajectory. I just expect him to be a little bit more prepared or, or a little bit more college ready, I guess, to start the season. So thoughts on Quentin Grimes? The biggest thing that I took away was just his shooting. Um, that's something we had talked about in some of our previous podcasts and that we've written about especially is that his shot wasn't necessarily falling at the FIBA Americas this summer with Bill Self. So I was really looking forward to seeing how he would shoot the ball late night, one of four from three. One of them was a really tough step back from the what would have been the left side, the left wing. So I, you know, there were tough shots in there, but I'm still a little concerned about the shot there. I think that he had a really good behind the back pass. I think it was. Um, I don't remember who it was too, but I was really impressed with his vision as well. Um, I think athletically. He was a lot faster than I thought, and you kind of mentioned it there, especially in the relay races where it kind of stood out to me. So I'll be really interested to see kind of how that shot develops and defensively kind of where he ends up defending, if he's guarding the threes or the twos or where he ends up going. Yep. Ochayag Baji up next. Uh, he went three or four from the field, one one from three, seven points. Thought Ochai was interesting. Clearly a very athletic player. He threw down a dunk early in the scrimmage that I think the KU Hoops Twitter account actually actually put out there. Um, Ochai Agbaje is another case of a guy who could compete for minutes, but really it's going to be a down-the-line type deal. But I get the sense, you know, he's drawn a lot of comparisons to Travis Relaford. I think he's a lot more athletic than Travis Relaford, a lot bouncier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get why that is the comparison, especially with Ochai uh, being a local product. But, you know, at the same time, I think there are high hopes and high expectations for him um, I, I, you know, flat out, I, I do think Ochag Baji will be pretty good. And I think, you know, we spoke to him afterward and, and he was pretty steady, good head on his shoulders. And, uh, and yeah, I think, I mean, that honestly might be the biggest thing more than anything is just that, you know, he seems to kind of handle himself well, take it all well. And, and I mean, he doesn't ever seem like the type of kid you'd have a problem with. Definitely not. I feel like he's kind of a kid too, that if, if the coaching staff came to him and said, Hey, we think you may be best in your best interest to redshirt I think that he would take that really well and would embrace that redshirt role on the team really well I thought that athletically he showed what he can do um again he's just not going to get much playing time this year I would be interested to see kind of what the minutes look like and where he kind of fits into the rotation especially as we kind of get into the big 12 when that starts to go into full swing I don't know if he will physically, as a freshman, be able to hang in there in the midst of a, you know, of a Big 12 game. So I don't think he's necessarily going to get a lot of playing time, but he's definitely a fun project to watch for for the future. Yeah, project, I think, is a good way to describe Agbaji again out of the KC area. Uh, LeGerald Vick made his return. I wrote I thought he was the most important part, at least part of it, of the the event. There were kind of three number twos that I focused my story on. It was LeGerald Vick's old number two, you know, being the returning number two, even though he doesn't wear that jersey anymore. Obviously, two chains wearing the number two jersey. And then Charlie Moore, uh, in the aggregate sense, that like all the newcomers kind of combining as, as this new kind of new age and new team with with so many different players kind of lining that key basketball roster. Um, LeGerald Vick clearly, you know, just wanted to come out, take a few shots. You know, he, he did some stuff off the dribble. Uh, I didn't think he was overly impressive, but he was clearly engaged. Uh, he was very much into the dancing. He finished four of seven from the field, two of four from three, 10 points, one rebound, uh, three assists, two turnovers, and a steal. So obviously very, very, very active. Um, very active throughout the evening. And I think you're seeing an, an engaged uh, LeGerald Vick. 
Uh, you're seeing a Gerald Dick who wants to be there and, and who wants to. Um, I, I saw a tweet that was like, KU gets back its senior leader and it's this and it's that. And, and no, I, the fact of the matter is LeGerald Vick is not going to be the top leader on this team. He has the experience. He's very battle-tested on the court. That helps. He's not going to be one of the team's like key leaders. And I think you saw that when they announced him as the senior captain and Bill Self was asked about that after the game. And his reaction was, no, we have not even appointed that. And that's something that's going to come. And, and the fact of the matter is, if LeGerald Vick were like one of the, your hallmark, like this guy's a leader, self's reaction wouldn't have been like, oh no, he's not a captain. Like that was incorrect. I X, Y, and Z. Like it would have been like, yeah, he's not a captain, but he's obviously one of the big leaders and and whatnot. I think they want LeGerald Vick to set an example. And I think they want him to lead by an example. But I think, I think you're, I, I, I would caution fans. It's so easy to just fall into the narrative and fall in love with the idea. Oh, the seniors coming back. That gives KU leadership. That's not how this works. That's it. Really, isn't KU's going to have leadership from the players uh, like Diedrich Lawson or, or like Yudoka Azubuki or uh, Mitch Lightfoot to an extent um, to the guys that have been around the program and have uh, maybe fit in well um, in terms of personality and in terms of just what they do uh, with kind of that Bill Self style. I mean, Self has even talked about Quentin Grimes. Uh, being able to provide some leadership traits as a freshman. So again, I, I think experience is important, uh, but at the same time, I, I would caution on that. Thoughts on LeGerald Vick, if, if he did anything that stood out to you? I thought that he just looked like he was enjoying himself and was having a good time. And I think for me, that was kind of the biggest takeaway I had because last year, watching him, he just did not look like he was having fun. He just looked like he was just out there in the motions, didn't want to be out there. And it really felt like a late night that he was excited and wanted to be out there. I mean, you saw that with the way that he was, you know, dancing and when the team had their dance routine, you could see it just even in the scrimmage, he was active. And even after, I think that him talking to the media, I thought that he was engaged and he didn't, you know, seem secluded, at least like he would at times last year. And I think that was the biggest thing that I took away is that it, it feels like a rebirth of LeGerald Vick that maybe could help him get to the NBA or get to where he wants to go. Because if you think back to his sophomore year, you know, he had the fun 360 dunk against Purdue and he had a pretty okay sophomore season. It was just last year. He was just in a slump for most of the season. And there was the, you know, he had to get benched at some point for this, just from the lack of production that he had. So I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was not necessarily what was on the court. It was just more of the overall attitude and outlook. For sure. Moving to Marcus Garrett, and we can kind of zoom through him. Uh, he has a reworked jumper. Uh, mm. Didn't make it, um, but I, I, again, I think it's a scrimmage setting, and we'll talk about this with Yudoka Asabuki too. I think it's relatively meaningless. Clearly, the jumper looks a lot better in that he's not you know, side-spinning it when he shoots it, but obviously you know, still some work to do. One of three from three, uh, three points, one rebound, one assist, one turnover. Really nothing much of note from Marcus Garrett. Yep, I totally agree. Tried to shoot a really tough step back, didn't work. Bill Self was pissed about that, but that's <laughs> really it. All right, K.J. Lawson uh, had a really nice game. K.J. Lawson, 3 or 4 from 3, 4 6 in the field, 11 points, 4 rebounds, 1 assist, no turnovers, 1 steal. I uh, thought K.J. was the best player on the court uh, in terms of shooting, and I think he has a sneaky good chance to be KU's best shooter next year along with LeGerald Vick. I think both guys have a, have a actually a really good chance to lead the team in three point percentage. In that, 
they will probably be taking better uh, looks than a Charlie Moore, who might be a better shooter and especially a better shooter off the bounce. Uh, but they should be taking more efficient and better looks. So in that regard, would not shock me if if uh, if KJ led the team in three point percentage. Um, I guess to a lesser extent, the same would be true of Diedrich because you would expect he'd only really be taking good three point shots. At the same time, he's not the shooter that some of those other guys are. So um, that that's what I kind of saw in KJ. I thought. Uh, He's got a, a spot to play on the team. He had a couple, um, I, I guess, four rebounds, but a couple tough rebounds that I, I especially noted. Just kind of hard with the minutes to see him fitting in, but but I think he does have a spot on this team. Yeah, I thought that if you have watched the scrimmage from it being the first time you've ever watched a KU basketball game, and you were being asked, like, you know, hey, you know, top three players on the court, KJ Lawson would have been one of the three, and I think that he really played like the role player that he could be this year. You know, just an energy guy comes off the bench, a pretty good rebounder. He made a corner three right in front of us. I thought that his shooting looked really good. I think that he could be one of the guys that plays his way into more playing time as the season goes on, especially as kind of Bill Self figures out who his ride-or-die guys are. I think that he could be one of those guys. And he's insurance, too, for their next recruiting class. If they were to whiff on every power forward, he could play small ball four, and KU would be absolutely fine. Important thing to remember, if KU whiffs on every power forward in the class, they're still going to have David McCormick and KJ Lawson next year and win the Big 12. So uh, very easy to remember that, you know, um, no matter what does happen, they've got that piece in KJ who can play the three, play the four. Um, After KJ, let's go to the bigs. Let's start with uh, Mitch Lightfoot. Mitch Lightfoot could put on a hundred pounds of muscle. All he wants to do is shoot threes and these things, and that's fine. Um, but that's not going to be his game. So, uh, I mean, Mitch Lightfoot plus twenty pounds, and and same thing. I think he took. Uh, I'm not sure how many threes he actually took in the scrimmage, but it felt like he took like a million of them. I know he probably only took a couple, just because there weren't that many shots. He was one of five and zero of four from three. So actually, he did take a lot of threes. Um, so there you go. Two points for Mitch Lightfoot. Mitchell Lightfoot really just wants to be a stretch four. That's all he wants to be in this world. Um, I thought that he got dunked on, didn't he? I think that's the first time yeah. I've ever seen someone get dunked on, dunked on him in a scrimmage. I thought that that was – I thought that – for me, that was the highlight of the night. Just the fact that, first of all, Doke dunked on him in a scrimmage, like actually went up and dunked on him. And the fact that Mitch jumped with him, I thought that that was just the highlight of the night for me. I think Mitch, as you said, regardless of how many pounds he's going to put on, I think his role is pretty much solid for this year. He's going to be that fourth or fifth big on the, off the bench. And I think that he's just not going to get a ton of playing time. But I think that he could be used in some situations where, you know, maybe Doak's in foul trouble, Diedrich is, isn't playing well, and Dave McCormack is, you know, looking maybe a little bit like Silvio did in his first few games where he looks a little lost. You know, maybe that's where Mitch Lightfoot kind of fits into this team but I still don't think he's going to be one of the key players. Yep, not at all. Um, Yudoka Azubuki reworked free throw form, dunked on Mitch Lightfoot. I uh, thought Yudoka was okay, not great. 3-6 in the field, 7.6 rebounds. Uh, Self noted after the game, I guess Self thinks his free throw form looks a lot better, um, and they want to see it go in a few times, and then they think that'll give him some confidence. So uh, the, the, that's kind of the extent of my thoughts on Doke. Anything to add there? Did, did the free throw? Free throw form looked different to you, I because honestly it didn't seem a whole lot different to me. But it was literally he shot one free throw and I saw it as it was happening. So yeah, I think it looks a lot different in terms of 
he's not doing that thing where he rocks the ball off on his hand. You know what I mean? Where he would roll the ball up his hand and like awkwardly grab it and flint. Like he's not doing that anymore. So that's good. But uh, outside of that, I mean, like I said, I I think it's just a little, I think it, I I think it's had some work done. Sure. Yeah. And I think that that was the biggest thing I had to, you know, Bill self said he could see dope making 60% of his free throws. I don't know about that. He said 65 would be a really good number. Like that would be the, the coaching staff would be really, really happy with Doke if he got to 65, but 60 would be fine. I still think he's going to be floating around that 55 to 50 mark for this season, but I'll take know, the under, we'll yeah, I'll take exactly. the under on any number you give me uh, straight up. David yeah. McCormick two uh, no points, two rebounds. I thought he was going to do a lot better in the scrimmage. I thought that was exactly his kind of setting. He didn't even start, actually, although Mitch Lightfoot's a junior, and, and that might be where that came from, just starting the veterans. Um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't glean much from him at all. I think he'll be a better player in games than, than here, but I, I think it's also probably true that he's probably not very far along in terms of uh, the top three bigs on the team. No, I think that some of the self-said, too, is that he needs to get better with his back to the basket and kind of being a better post scorer, but when he's not, because now that he's playing, you know, D1 college level, he's not going to be bigger than everyone else like he is in high school. And that's something that Self had mentioned was that he wants to see David get better at just being a scorer in the post and not using his size every time he gets down there like Doak does, for instance. I thought, I agree, I thought he was going to play a lot better. He's the energy guy. I thought that he would be the guy that's, you know, running up and down the floor, getting dunks, maybe getting some block shots, something like that. But Overall, wasn't impressed. I still think there's a lot more to come from him, though. Yeah, terrible basketball player. Just awful. No, obviously, <laughs> just kidding. McDonald's All-American, uh, very high ceiling. And, and I think as a sophomore, he's going to be a freak, like in, yeah. in the best possible way. I think he's going to be a, an outstanding, outstanding player. Um, finally, Silvio de Sosa. Is he? Oh, we have two more. Silvio de Sosa. I think Silvio de Sosa, if he plays, is going to be awesome this year. I think his body is NBA ready. I think, quite frankly, this might be a super hot take, but I think like if he were the center and not Yudoka Azubuki, if Yudoka Azubuki weren't returning and with the status that he were, I, I think it, it might even play better for KU just because in terms of, I, I think Silvio de Sosa is the best rebounder in KU basketball. I think he is the best uh, physical big man. I think he wants to compete on the interior and scrap and fight. Kind of reminds me of Carter Stanley a little bit in, in the comparison that his teammates were talking about yesterday that he's a guy who will fight for those extra yards and put his shoulder down even when it's ill-advised. Silvio de Sosa, if you love KU basketball, Silvio de Sosa is the type of player that you've watched and loved and you've seen scrap on the floor, dive for a loose ball, go up against a more talented recruit and hold his own because he's just trying harder than him. And there, I, I find there aren't many times in basketball where someone's just trying harder like people are always like, well, they just want it more. It's usually not that. It's usually like shots went in or like a scheme was better or something. But Silvio de Sosa did that against Duke. He wanted it more than anyone on the court. He was bleeding, didn't even notice, kept going, you know, double-digit rebounds. You saw what he did in the Big 12 tournament. Um, Silvio de Sosa, the energy he plays with, the joy he plays with, the passion and the genuineness, um, I think – quite frankly, makes him the type of guy that if there weren't a bunch of FBI stuff surrounding him and he did hit his ceiling, he'd have the, uh, he'd have his jersey up in the rafters someday. I absolutely, wow. uh, I think he's, I think he's that type of talent. Now, because of circumstance, including the role in the team, like if you were on, if you were on the team two years ago, that Landon Lucas team as oh. a sophomore, 
like he would have played 28 minutes a game and been, you know, whatever. He's still this team's third big man because he's going to be behind Udoka. He's going to be behind Dietrich, right? And if he yeah. goes to the NBA, that'll be the end of his career, two years, and it will probably not be the most eventful career. But I'm just talking about in terms of, you know, four-year career. If this were a guy you got to go out there and watch, I think he'd follow a very, very similar trajectory to Thomas Robinson. Not saying he'd be Thomas Robinson. He'd probably not be that good. But I think that would kind of be his trajectory, you know, limited action, then a a big off the bench who's kind of physical, and then like, whoa, look how good this guy is. And, and, you know, he's he's able to lead a team. So I'm obviously extremely high on Silvio de Sosa. Conversations I've had with people around him, uh, I I would say he's probably this team's best big man outside of uh, Dietrich Lawson in terms of – what his impact could be over a four-year career if you were to stay all four years. And I think that's mostly because of the rebounding and, and kind of the, the ideally by the end of his career, he wouldn't have a weakness there. You know, Yudoka Azubuki will always struggle on switches and out on the perimeter because of his size will always struggle with free throw shooting. will always struggle away from the basket. Silvio de Sosa in, in how he projects does not have any of those weaknesses. He has a mid range game, makes free throws. He's versatile. He's fast. He's quick. NBA ready body. He's got all those things. So that that's all I'm saying by that. I, I want to make sure I'm not overstating that I think in year two he's going to be you know LeBron James, but I do think he's going to be a if he sticks around and he is eligible and able to play, I think you'll see some ridiculous performances by the end of his career. Sure, I, I definitely agree. I I will say that I feel like he will work really well with Diedrich. I feel like just because the two of them kind of mitigate what the other one doesn't do so well. You know, Silvio is not a great scorer. Diedrich is a great scorer. Diedrich is not an elite rebounder like Silvio de Sosa is. You know, Silvio's got that muscle and he's just thick and he's just built. And you have Diedrich who's a lot more long and lean and smooth. I think that they really could complement each other really well if they are on the court at the same time. I think that for Silvio in general, I thought you saw what he can do in the Big 12 tournament, in the NCAA tournament, rebounding-wise, I really, really am interested to see if he has a face-up game this year because he did not face up at all last year. And I wanted to see if Self lets him face up and if he has that in him. Because if he does, then that adds a whole other wrinkle to his game. You can then use him a lot more with Yudoka because you saw last year they didn't try to bunch, but they did try to go to that too-big look with Silvio and Doke, and it did not look good when they were out there together. Yeah, and that was early in Silvio's career too. It, it was too totally, and I think that he also now you'll see him be a lot more comfortable, and I think he will maybe be more comfortable trying to face up and kind of take more of the tools out that he has that maybe he didn't feel like he could use last year just because the times that he came in, I mean, it was in March, and that's literally like crunch time. And as a true freshman in crunch time, you haven't played all season for the most part. I mean, I thought that he showed what he can do, and if you give him time to get more comfortable and get more acclimated, I think that he could do some big things, like you said. Yeah, that Duke game, prime example. Eight points, four rebounds, four four shooting for Silvio. Finally, Diedrich Lawson, you kind of touched on. Not the setting for him. He was four of eight from the field, eight points, six boards, three assists. Good passing. He's a very versatile guy. We're going to talk about Diedrich Lawson a lot more, so we don't need to hit every single thing in the world on him right now, but I, he's going to be probably KU's best player this year. So, you know a decent performance for him. Yep. I thought that the biggest takeaway for me was he had this isolation move on the right wing. Um, I don't remember who was guarding him, but it was one of the smoothest moves I've ever seen in person, you know, in a scrimmage like that at least. 
it reminded me, and this is not a good comparison at all. I should not be making this, but it reminded me of just like a Kevin Durant little isolation move just with how smooth it was, not comparing him to Kevin Durant, just saying with how smooth he and how easy he made it look. I'm really interested to see what he does when he gets a smaller guy on him, you know, if he can, if he's going to do a lot more of the turnaround and face up and shoot, or if he even gets the bigger guys, is he going to try and take him out to the wing and try and go past him or get step backs? I'll be interested to see kind of what he decides to do given on who's guarding him. For sure. I think that's a good place to, to leave it off for this podcast. Plenty more talk on KU basketball, KU football, all these things coming in the upcoming weeks, but definitely wanted to get in here and talk a little bit of late night in the fog. So uh, anything to add, Michael, or are you good to, to send it out of here? I'll send it out. All right. Well, this has been the fog.net podcast. Make sure to check out Kansas.247sports.com for all your KU content, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.